Hey, witches. Welcome to The Lion, The Witch, and The Podcast. We are two mystic Leos discussing spirituality and human condition in the post-pandemic world. So hop in, witches, for going hexing. Hey, witches. (laughs) What's up? Hey, 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 hey. It's Wednesday. It's Wednesday. It is Wednesday. Or honestly, Wednesday. Yeah, whenever you want to listen to this episode, whatever day it is, it's your day. It's your day. Do what you want. <laughs> do what you don't want. Lis- don't listen to someone when they tell you what to do. Exactly. Exactly. Well, <sighs> Sean, how witchy has your week been? It's spring, I hope. Um, I hope. It, by, by the time this episode airs, I hope it's warmer. Today it was like 57, 55, 57 degrees, and I'm about it. I got got out there and I walked around on the squishy ground. Viv got her muddy paws. We got it all over the house. We love it. How was your week? Um, Good. Week was good. The full moon was here. It happened. It was here. In our sign, in our Leo sign. And felt good things, like felt very powerful things, very like productive, very like, yeah, okay, like feel this energy, let's fucking go. So Leo knows, Leo knows how to get things done. Yeah, that was really like it. When this episode comes out, Blake and I will be coming back from Catalina. We're going to Catalina Island for his birthday, my little Aquarius. Now, what exactly is Catalina Island? Tell us a little bit about it. Honestly, couldn't fucking tell you. Really couldn't tell you. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All that I know is that when I was younger, I was like seven or eight and I was part of this like little like singing group. We would go and perform, which was super cute. But obviously, like, I don't remember much. All I remember is that they were like, cow statues with different art on them and the cows are are like literally like everywhere I don't know if they're still there but it's so close right yeah it's like super close it's like an hour ferry ride and we just wanted to get away because it's the long weekend and like celebrate his birthday and yeah that's it and you you'll you'll see my adventures from Catalina so yes, you will mm-hmm. make sure yeah. you're following the Instagram account. Yeah. Make sure you're following all the things. And speaking of things, well, there's a lot of things on this Google. Doc. Speaking of things, <laughs> we're talking about a really cool thing today. A thing that I love. We're talking about herbal magic, baby. Yes. Anyway, sorry. What were you going to say? Oh, no, no, no. I was going to say, this is like a topic that actually a lot of you have asked us about. So yes, it is. There you have yes, it. it is. You fucking have it. There you go. We're talking about herbal magic. It is my baby. I love herbal magic. I love herbalism. I love everything to do with herbs and plants and growing things. So my fellow green witches out there. Hey, this one's for you, babies. Hey. So what resources do we have today? All right, we got Herbal Magic by Garena Dunwich, The Green Witch by Erin Murphy Hiscock, Blackthorn's Botanical Magic by Amy Blackthorn, Plant Witchery by Juliet Diaz, The Herbal Lore of Wise Women and Wart Cunners by Wolf D. Storrell, The Witch of the Forest Guide to Natural Magic by Lindsay Squire, and last but certainly not least, you're going to hear it all the time here, The Divine Feminine by Annette Pierso and Israel Gonzalez. Ah, uh, we love them. Love. Yeah. And before we start the Google Doc, obviously, you know, we have a disclaimer. So this conversation may feature a discussion of herbalism and herbal medicine. We are not, may I repeat, we are not medical professionals or certified herbalists. And these discussions do not serve as medical advice to treat, diagnose, or prescribe. This conversation is for entertainment purposes only, and we encourage you to seek medical advice, herbal or otherwise, from qualified professionals. Also, it is your responsibility to properly research herbs that you wish to use in your practice. Don't put yourself at unnecessary risk by handling or ingesting poisonous herbs or herbs that have known associations with allergens that affect you. Mm -hmm. Yeah, big important message right there is, you know, never consume, never touch an unidentified plant. Um, if you are, have interest in doing that, please do your research and talk to qualified professionals. So let's start it, shall we? Mm-hmm. Plant 
witchery, and the green path. Herbs, plants, and greenery are one of the easiest ways to explore nature-based spirituality. Traditional practices, your own intuition, and how you interact with the energy of the plant will all serve to direct you on your path of discovery. Sensory interaction with plants, trees, flowers, and herbs is a significant foundation for how you work with their energies, and trusting yourself in your experience is critical. The wide variety of energetic properties available from different plants is one of the treasures of the Green Witch Path. The interaction of blending your energy with a plant's energy in your working will produce a unique result, and ultimately, your openness to the plant's energy and confidence that it is in harmony with your will is what will direct your successful interaction with it. Karina Dunwich, author of Herbal Magic, I got you that book. Yes, you did. <laughs> anyway, says that witches and pagan folk the world over have held a special relationship with herbs since the days of antiquity. Developing various methods to harness the magical energies contained with flowers, leaves, roots, and bark, and they have used them as tools for healing, divination, spell crafting, and connecting with the divine. The ancients believed that all herbs possessed a spirit. Nearly every culture has recognized the occult vibration of herbs and attributed certain magical properties to their native plants and trees. Early civilizations sought to harness and direct the magical powers of plants for curing diseases, warding off misfortune, divining the future, and appeasing the gods. Yes, this is what we talk about when we, in some parts, talk about animism. We're talking about herbal animism, um, plant working with plant spirits, to really embolden the magical work or the ritual work you are doing is so beautiful. It's such a beautiful relationship, first of all. And it's so important to recognize, you know, the autonomy of these plants and these herbs. And they all have spirits and energies that they are bringing to your magic. So respect them. A green witch isn't defined by where they live or what they do to bring home a paycheck, Erin Murphy Hiscock says, author of The Green Witch. Nor is the green witch limited to working with plants, trees, or herbs, but they are defined by their relationship to the world around them and their affinity to the natural world. So if you are an urban witch, a city witch, like you, Courtney, that by no means discounts you from being a green witch. You can absolutely be a green witch. Yes. You can just see all the fucking plants I have in here. Hell yeah, bitch. A green witch is someone who is aware of how the energy of nature flows through their life and through their environment. Green witchcraft is not a practice separate from ordinary life, but it is an all-encompassing experience. The concepts of healing, harmony, and balance are all key to the green witch's practice and outlook on life. Murphy Hiscock notes that there is no formal tradition or initiation into the green path, but that the green witch instead focuses their attention on the earth and the local environment. The individual human experience and your integration into the community and the effects you have on the earth. So, you know, community gardens, that is a huge way as an urban practitioner to get into green witchery. I mean, just taking care of the spaces around you. Courtney, you could walk out of your apartment and touch a fucking giant monstera leaf. It's amazing. The size of like 20 of my heads. Like, that's exactly what I did. So, By no means are you not a green witch because you're an urban city dweller. You know, it's so easy to connect to the green path. So true. And especially coming from you, the green witch herself, the, the, the green witch herself. (laughs) The, 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 it means a lot. I thank you for that. Yes. Julia Diaz puts all other definitions of the green witch to shame in her book, Plant Witchery. In which she says, plant witchery is more than just a path or a practice. It is a devotional pact between Mother Earth, Earth spirits, and the inner self. It is a promise to walk a path that honors the wisdom, medicine, and magic that lives within our Mother Earth and ourselves. The Earth holds the spirits of our ancestors, and they speak to us through nature. The mountains, rivers, oceans, skies, caves, rocks, stones, animals, trees, plants, dirt, bones, roots, and the self. These are the ways a plant which communicates with magic. 
The plant witch is one of with the earth and acknowledges the sacred self. They honor the seasons as well as the messages, lessons, and wisdom the seasons bring. The plant witch sees the beauty in the cycles of life, death, and rebirth. By working with nature to balance ground and shift their life, the plant witch heals themselves and others. They cherish the environment as much as they cherish themselves. Beautiful. So beautiful. It's such a beautiful definition. And I think it's really important to like, remember that, like I said before, taking care of your local environment, like just picking garbage up off of the ground when you see it on the ground, that is being a green witch. That is being a plant witch. When you are really honoring every aspect of the local area that you're in, which includes um, honoring the, you know, indigenous tribes that were displaced from the land that you're on because we have to remember here in the United States on Turtle Island we are not native to this area and there were people that were displaced tribes that were displaced so we need to respect and honor those people and by honoring the land and taking care of the land we can really connect with the spirits of the earth and the spirits of plants so just a little key takeaway I think beautiful beautiful Herbal magic is the natural transition to the green path. By working with our plant and nature allies, we ensure and embolden our magic. Juliet Dyer says, plants need the same things that we do to survive, heal, grow, and blossom. We all need the right amount of water, the right amount of light, the proper food, as well as mindful care and love. These similarities exist because we are nature. Nature is not something separate from us. Plants bring us back to what we truly are. They bring us back to the place of meaning. We are important, connected, sacred. Connecting with the magic of plants and herbs helps us to connect with the magic within ourselves. I'm going to say that again. Connecting with the magic of plants and herbs helps us to connect to the magic within ourselves. And I don't think I need to say any more on that topic because that is exactly what a green witch is. It's so true. And like, I don't know. I feel like back in New York when you were helping me find myself in witchcraft. I did have plants and guess what? I murdered them. I <laughs> was not, but I wasn't a good plant mom because I truly like didn't understand myself. And sure. then once like really finding like, I don't know, my spiritual awakening, especially coming here, I have like 20 plants. I mm -hmm. never thought that I would have like that green touch, but mm -hmm. when you really do find yourself, I don't know. There's just something about like you can make other things like live and like yes. even just like touching, like, like you said, like just touching my, like the Monstera, like this Monstera, Sean, when you were here last time in October, she was not happy. She was really <laughs> not happy. And I don't know what happened, but she's just growing so much. And I say good morning to her every single day and I touch her <laughs> leaves and like, I don't know. It's just so like, it's beautiful. Oh, that's all I'm saying. Plants are just beautiful. Yeah. And another thing that I want to highlight guys is like, by no means, um, are you not a plant, witch? are you not an herb, witch? are you not good at herbal magic? Because you lose a plant. It happens to Truth. everybody. And you could lose many plants throughout your career as an herbal or green witch. It's going to happen because guess what? That's the cycle of life. Death is a huge part of it. Let's not forget the death card in the tarot, what does it mean? It means transformation. It means new beginnings, you know? So all in all, that plant, even if it dies, it's going to teach you something. What did mm -hmm. killing your plants teach you? I need to take care of myself. And I never did. Right. And also you could just be on the wrong watering schedule. You could be on the wrong, um, like moisture levels. You could be on the wrong planting, um, soil. So there's all kinds of things we learn from killing a plants about ourselves and also about how to properly care for the next plant, you know? Yeah. Next part on the Google doc, historical green witchcraft and herb lore. Ooh. Ooh. Aaron Murphy Hiscock tells us that the practices of the modern green witch have arisen from folk healers and practitioners of folk magic, among others. The modern green witch finds their forebears in village herbalists, midwives, healers, wise women, and cunning folk who perform particular services for their communities. The duties of these spiritual ancestors of the green witch usually included midwifery and preparation of the dead for burial, 
as well as the use of various plants to heal the mind and body. These people possessed the knowledge of both life and death. They knew what kinds of witch flora could create both states of existence. These earlier green witches, while often respected, were more often feared or mistrusted because of the knowledge they held. They were often marginalized by their communities and lived alone or away from social centers. It is also likely that the spiritual ancestors of green witches chose to live apart from their communities because it is harder to hear what nature has to communicate with you when surrounded by people. Being closer to the forests and fields made it easier for cunning folk to commune with the energies of the living world. Kind of sounds like you, Sean. I try. I try to make that my identity. And let's not forget this is one culture. You know, green witchery comes from so many different cultures. Let's not forget the beautiful things we have learned from the indigenous cultures on planting, on growing. You know, there is so much that that's for the Americas, you know, but, you know, all over the place. There's so much rich green witchery across the cultures of the world. Sometimes these green healers were also spellcasters who performed folk magic particular to the region, like Pennsylvania powwow. But more often they were just grandmothers who had a talent for fixing things. Folk magic is composed of traditions and practices that have been handed down in a geographic or culturally specific area. It can focus on divination for love and marriage, agricultural success, and weather prediction. Owen Davies, author of Cunning Folk, Popular Magic in English History, explains that as opposed to being healers, cunning folk dealt with the lifting of bewitchments from people who believe themselves to be victim of a curse or spell. Witchcraft was the soil through which the careers of the cunning folk grew. And when popular belief in witchcraft ended, so did the roles of the cunning folk. But herbcraft extends far beyond the villages of early settlers. In ancient Egypt, a land that has been described as an ideal breeding ground for magical herbalism, plants such as the lotus, the papyrus seed, the onion, which was often presented as a sacrificial offering to the gods, was greatly revered and believed to possess spiritual virtues. Despite the fact that myrrh trees were not native to Egypt, myrrh played a vital role in the religious and magical ceremonies of the ancient Egyptians. The fragrant aroma produced by the burning of myrrh was believed to be pleasing for the gods. The people of ancient Greece and Rome linked their native trees and plants to the gods and goddesses of their pantheons. In the old Greek and Roman religions, plant myths were predominantly featured. Tales of mortals and gods alike being transformed into trees were common, and nearly every deity was known to have held one or more tree and or plant as a sacred symbol. Oh, I love that. Historically, Belief in the magical properties of plants was by no means restricted only to pagans and pre-Christian religions. Numerous references to herbal magic and botomancy, the practice of divination by plants, can be found throughout the Bible, from the burning bush oracle of Moses to Rachel's use of mandrake root to magically increase her fertility. Yes, Moses. Thank you, Moses. Yeah. <laughs> During the Middle Ages, those accused of being witches were believed to have employed a wide variety of plants to bring about evil, as well as to do good if they desired. Those who made use of poisonous plants such as hemlock or henbane to lay curses or cause mischief were labeled as dark practitioners, while those who applied their herbal wisdom for the benefits of others earned themselves the reputation of light witches. However, we know that in witchcraft, nothing is ever just dark or light, but more often a perfect shade of gray. And of course, terming a practitioner white or black based on the type of magic performed, herbal or otherwise, are highly racist in colonizing terms. A great deal of what little botanical witch lore remains from centuries past is contained in the transcript of the witchcraft trials that took place during the burning times. From such sources, observe the editors of Magic and Medicine of Plants. We gather that witches are heirs to ancient lessons of the medicinal properties of many substances found in nature. The witches preserved and continued to use plant lore that the Christian church had suppressed as heathen and mysterious. Ever heard of eye of newt, toe of frog, wing of bat, and tongue of dog? Some believe these are code names for herbs, eye of newt being a mustard seed, and toe of frog the leaf from a buttercup, while wing of bat is a holly leaf and tongue of dog is the herb hound's tongue. However, it is important to note that this information has been floating around since the late 80s and early 90s without appropriate 
pre-21st century citations. So it is still up to speculation whether herbal practitioners in Shakespeare's time were truly coding their potions, or if Shakespeare was simply writing The Scandalous Witch to appease James I. In the United States, magical herbalism is largely rooted in European botanical lore, brought across the Atlantic by immigrants from distant lands, and equally influenced by indigenous American herb lore, as well as the plant magic practiced by African slaves. In contemporary times, herbal magic has been used to assist an individual in attracting a compatible lover, landing the right job, changing bad luck into good, and even increasing one's wealth. Empowered by the energies of great Gaia, Herbs have long been used as amulets to protect against evil, dried and burned as magical incense during rituals, and added to flying ointments and cauldron brews. And even in our own modern times, herb lore exists across cultures. Some plants are thought to attract good luck, like allspice, holly, Irish moss, linden, nutmeg, pomegranate, rose, star anise, and violet. Additionally, Rosemary and St. John's wort are said to bring good luck to a home, as well as drive out malevolent spirits. According to English herb lore, two of the luckiest plants to bring inside are white heather and rowan tree. In the Welsh countryside, it is believed bad luck will befall anyone who picks a flower off a grave or brings indoors a bunch of primroses or daffodils, totaling a number less than 13. Don't bring blackthorn into the house lest illness come with it. And planting a hydrangea bush too close to the house will, will curse the women of the household to never find love. And giving parsley as a gift will bring the worst luck to both the giver and receiver. Who would have thought? A great key takeaway from this section, I just want to note, is that the herb lore that is contained in our world right now is so rich across cultures. It is literally like, for example, the United States is a melting pot when it comes to the herb lore produced by African practitioners, indigenous practitioners, uh, folk practitioners from Italy, uh, Germany, you know, all over the place, all over the place, Russia, what have you, you know. In Europe, herb lore remains rich. In the Southern Americas, in the islands, herb lore looks completely different. So it's all beautiful, it's all incredible, and you can learn so, so, so much from all the different lore from all of these different cultures. It's so interesting. So just, you know, if you really want a very well-rounded um, education on herbal lore, I would say look into how each different culture uses these herbs and really just learn from that, you know, be respectful of closed practices, but learn what you can, you know, from the open practices. It's really something to dive into, aka do your fucking research. Next section, herbal healing and wart cunning, one of my favorites. According to Wolf D. Storrell, author of the herb lore of wise women and work hunters. The wise women and wizards who knew the virtues of plants were known as wart hunters to the Anglo-Saxon of the days of yore. Wart means root, herb or spice, and cunning from the Middle English cunnin means to know. The name St. John's wart, fig wart, mother wart, money wart, worm wood, and also known as worm wart, plainly attests to the fact that herbs were generally called warts in common English. The concept of wart cunning is not readily translated into botany, pharmacosony, or herbalism. Scientific botany did not exist yet. Roots belong to the zone of the deep, dark, and mysterious, to the other side of being. A root knower is a seer. They know the root of the illness that strikes a human being down and knows the root of the cure, the wart. Storl argues that even in the roots of herbalism, there was trial and error. Early human beings living in the bosom of nature were clairvoyant. Throughout the ages, people found their herbs, medicine, and food through intuition. Many ancient myths and writing reinforce this idea. Intuition plays a huge part in herb craft as well. While proper research is extremely important when handling and ingesting herbs, a level of intuition when it comes to what herbs to use in a spell should not be discounted. If you feel a pull toward a certain herb, listen, there might be a reason why you need it. I know that we've like talked about this before, especially in our like movies we love episode, but 
Sally from the night before Christmas is an herbalist. <laughs> yeah, she's definitely an herb witch. Wormwood, isn't, mm-hmm. isn't that one? Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I I love how she makes up that brew, and it's so true. Like if you're called to use a certain herb in a like, let's say that you're called to use rosemary in a love working. Well, why? You should look it up. What is rosemary associated with? With memory, with the mind. Maybe you're being called to remember something either about yourself or a person that you're consensually doing this love working with that you should really know before or during the time that you're doing it. So just like look up, you know, these, it's so easy to look up the associations of herbs. Use any one of these books, use the internet, cross-reference and see why you're being called to those herbs. Through these same age old sources, we know that herbs have the power to heal. Mullen grows wild in the United States. To herbalists, it acts as an astringent, emollient, pectoral, and demulcent. For the lungs, it has an invigorating effect and can be used for sore throats. In India, Mullen is thought to possess great properties of protection when carried in a small pouch or hung in home. Kept under the pillow, it safeguards the sleeper from nightmares. Mugwort, also known as St. John's plant, is another wild grower in the U.S. It's well known as a tonic, but also a stimulant, a nervine, and a diaphoretic. Drink mugwort tea before divinations and seeking prophetic dreams. Old beliefs suggest that it has the power to protect from evil if carried on the person and is the greatest gift that aids in astral production. Dandelion, also known as lion's tooth, is yet another wild grower. It is best known as a stimulant and a tonic. Its leaves are used as greens and salads, and its roasted roots have a stimulating effect on the body. Some of dandelion's properties include the calling of spirits, developing psychic abilities, and foreseeing the future. Peppermint is among the rest in its wild role as a stimulant and antispasmatic. It is believed to aid in helping the heart and aiding in digestion. Its properties include purification, healing, and happiness. If rubbed upon the household items and corners of walls, protection from evil is achieved. It increases psychic powers. Herbs seek out the person they need to be with at any given time and place, and it will fulfill the person's needs. Listen to what the herbs say to you and let your intuition blend with the vision of the herbal tea you're drinking and experience the herbal healing that is yours for the taking. Mm. Do you ever enchant your teas when you're drinking them? I have, um, every so often I will have chamomile at night to like settle not only like my mind, but also my body because my bladder is very spastic. Chamomile is so helpful with, um, bladder spasms and, um, actually enchant it. I do that when I'm stirring, um, either honey or just, you know, just stirring my, my, uh, tea bag into my tea. And I discuss with the tea, what I want to achieve with it. And I spell it basically. Um, it's a spell tea and I like doing that for, you know, sleeping for calm, for relaxation, for quieting the mind. So enchant your teas. Next section is something that's also been highly requested of us to talk about. Now there is a disclaimer. So we're going to be talking about baneful herbs. Many of the plants we are about to discuss are poisonous and are not recommended to be taken internally. Please exercise caution when handling and using these plants. And if you wish to consume them, we would suggest you consult a qualified herbalist or medical professional. All right. The first one is like, probably one of my favorite plants of all time. I wonder why. (laughs) So many reasons, honestly, there's so many reasons. It's gorgeous. It's my favorite Stevie Nicks song. Um, It means a beautiful woman. Like, come on, we love it. Belladonna was a poisonous plant prized by sorcerers of centuries past who used it to induce psychic visions and astral projections. Known by many as deadly nightshade, belladonna was also a popular ingredient in magical potions used by some sorcerers to inflict death or madness upon their enemies or rivals. According to the Warlock's book by Peter Hanning, 14 of its berries will produce death. Half the number will cause wild excitement and delirium. 
Witches of old were said to have used belladonna in their flying ointments and cauldron brews. Although extremely toxic, belladonna was also used in a number of folk cures and even consumed in very small quantities by those who desired to see the future. Belladonna was also believed by many to keep evil spirits at bay. Sprigs or garlands of the plant were often placed around the home or hung over beds and cradles to protect sleeping adults and children from the evils that lurked in the night. Ironically, belladonna was also used by many farmers to guard their livestock against sorcery. Despite its widespread reputation for being one of the spellcaster's most favorite banes, and an old saying is that the plant was tended by the devil himself. The belladonna is in my bag. Elbor was used in many rituals of exorcism in ancient times. Dried and burned, it was believed to drive out spirits from possessed human beings and animals alike and banish malevolent ghosts from the dwellings and other places in which they took delight in haunting. It is said that sorcerers in the Middle Ages would scatter powered hellbore on the ground before them as they walked in order to attain invisibility. Many sorcerers and witchers also used the plant to induce astral projections. Mm. All right. Mandrake or mandragora is used to return those who have been petrified to their original state. Wow, Hermione. (laughs) Just kidding. Mandrake or mandragora is perhaps the most magical of all plants associated with the spellcasters of old. This highly toxic plant is potent in all forms of enchantment, from the most tender of love spells to the most evil of curses. It is also said to have been used, among other purposes, to divine the future, gain arcane knowledge, awaken or increase a person's clairvoyant powers, attract good luck, lead its masters or mistress to the location of buried or hidden treasure, attract money, promote fertility in barren women, and work reputedly as a powerful aphrodisiac. The part of the mandrake most commonly employed in magical workings is the plant's curious human-shaped root. In medieval times, they were often dried, powdered, and then added to ointments that were said to endow witches with the power of flight and the sorcerers with the powers of invisibility. To properly harness the energies of a mandrake root, according to occult tradition, you must first pull it from the earth on a night when the moon is full. Some magicians claim that the mandrake root will only work its magic for the individual who uproots it. The next step calls for the mandrake root to rest in your house undisturbed for a period of three days. On the third night, the root must be put into a small bowl or small cauldron of water and be allowed to soak overnight. At sunrise, take the mandrake root from the bowl or cauldron, dry it thoroughly, and then dress it in a piece of silk cloth and do not allow anyone other than yourself to touch the root or even gaze upon it. The mandrake is sacred to a number of pagan deities, including Hecate and Diana, to the legendary sorceresses Circe, Greek, and the Alruna maiden, Teutonic. Poison hemlock, as its name implies, is a highly toxic plant that under no circumstances should be eaten or used in potions intended for human consumption. A good number of sorcerers and sorceresses in the Middle Ages are known to have met their fate experimenting with this magical but deadly plant. Hemlock was the poison of choice for Socrates, who died by his own hand after being sentenced to death. A plant sacred to the Greek goddess Hecate, hemlock has been said to have been used by some witches of old to induce astral protections and to render men sexually impotent. The extracted juice was rubbed onto blades or ritual daggers and swords for purification or magical empowerment prior to their use. Wolfsbane, also known as aconite or monkshood, is probably best known for its use as an herbal amulet against vampires and werewolves. However, according to legend, the protective powers of wolfsbane plant are only effective when its flowers are in full bloom. It is also reputed to have the power to cure those who have fallen victim to the curse of lycanthropy. To master invisibility, some sorcerers in the Middle Ages were said to have carried with them a magical charm consisting of wolfsbane seed wrapped in the skin of a lizard. It was at that point where Zach went, where the hell did they get lizard skin? It is unknown whether or not this charm helped them to return to their visible state or if simply willing it was the only thing needed to regain their visibility. Are you seeing a pattern here? Henbane is known by the folk names Black Nightshade, 
Devil's Eye, Jupiter's Bean, and Poison Tobacco. Henbane is a poisonous plant that was commonly used by sorcerers of old in rituals to conjure forth spirits and fantastic apparitions. It is also used in the art of weatherworking, as the plant was believed to hold the power to bring forth rain from the heavens above. Like many of the old world plants, henbane was attributed with divinatory powers and employed by those who were masters of the art of prophecy. It was a main ingredient in sorcerer's salves and flying ointments, and many old grimoires indicate that henbane, along with opium and thorn apple, were the three banes, poisonous herbs, most favored by devotees of sorcery. Despite its toxicity, henbane was at one time an herb also associated with emanatory enchantments. Interestingly, it was believed that a woman could be made to fall in love with a man if he wore or carried henbane in a charm bag. However, in order for the plant to work its magic effectively for the sorcerer, they needed to gather it at dawn. It was also imperative that they collected the herb sky clad or nude and while standing on one foot. That's interesting. It was at that point, Zach said, no one's going to do that. Yeah, no, I don't think so. (laughs) And then I said, I would do it. (laughs) Zach and I will watch you. (laughs) Okay, this is a fun one. Herbal divination. The art and practice of divination by herbs is one of the oldest methods of prognostation known to man. Its formal name is botanomancy, which is derived from the Greek word botane, meaning herb. Philomancy is a type of divination closely related to botanomancy. Diviners who employ this method typically interpret the pattern of veins on leaves to gain insight to future events or to reveal things of the unknown. Cosmomancy is another variation of botanomancy. It draws omens from the ashes produced by the burning of plants and trees. Deriving its name from the Greek word kostos, meaning burned, this method of divination also draws omens at the rate at which a plant placed in a fire burns. Traditionally, if a plant is smoldered and burned slowly or failed to burn altogether, this was taken as a bad omen. But if it burned rapidly, the omen was good. In Greece, divination by observing the leaves and petals of roses was a popular method of foretelling future events. A rose petal with a concave form would first be selected, a yes or no question asked, and then a state of meditation entered into. Afterwards, the diviner would place the petal in the palm of their right hand and then firmly clasp both hands together one time. If the petal burst, this indicated an affirmative answer. But if it failed to burst, this was interpreted as a negative reply. Next part, essential oils. Ooh. Amy Blackthorne, author of Blackthorne's Botanical Magic, says that the essential oils are the soul of the plant, distilled into its finest point. Botanical magic is different from what you might think it is. With botanical magic, you're going right to the source. You are tapping directly into the realm of magic, into the heartbeat of the earth and creating a change for yourself. An oil is a handy way to carry the essence of an herb or other natural object. An essential oil is prepared directly from the original plant, which means that when you use it in magical or medicinal work, it's guaranteed to carry the original energy of the plant along with its chemical benefits. Oils are generally used for anointing, but they can also be added to bath, potpourris, and sachets. You can add a drop or two to any spell you craft to add extra energy and power. So you mean our three oils that we have in the shop, we can do this? (laughs) You can. Our ritual oils are made with essential oils, and they are just like an excellent source of that plant energy if you like to use oils in your ritual practice. So head over to our shop page, the line, the witch of the podcast, Dot com and we have a little shop icon in our um in our top bar so check that out all right so here's the the meat and cheese of the whole sandwich here um and if you don't eat meat here's the tofu and cheese of the whole sandwich here or just the tofu um <laughs> your basic herb garden and working with it okay so we're going to talk about some like really basic plants to get you started on your herb garden. You might be an advanced herb worker. You might be a um, beginner herb worker. You might be an intermediary herb worker. 
wherever you are in your herb practice, these, you may or may not agree, is a great group of starter plants to get you started. (laughs) All right. By working with a garden, indoors or out, the Green Witch is interacting with nature on a personal basis. Hands-on practice offers you the opportunity to physically feel your connection to nature. Working with a garden of any kind allows you to meditate on the concept of harmony and balance in a completely different way. There is a very real give and take of energy involved in tending a garden. Lindsay Squire, author of The Witch of the Forest Guide to Natural Magic, says that herbs embody the four elements. They grow in soil, earth, use the light and warmth of the sun, fire, to make the nutrients they need, use moisture from the soil and the rain to grow, water, and take carbon dioxide from their immediate environment and make oxygen, air. Using herbs in your craft, and especially from your own garden, means you are working from the very elements of nature and the power of the earth's energy in its strongest form. I just want to say here too, if you are an urban witch, container gardens. I will always recommend container gardens for herbs because it is so easy to transport them if you happen to move or you just want to like get a different angle of light. Go with a container garden. So some basic herbs to incorporate into your witch's garden are basil, optimum basilicum. Basil can be placed in a sachet and hung in each room of your property to keep away evil or negative energies. Eating basil can summon clarity and inner strength and placing it in your pockets will help to attract wealth. Placing it in your wallet too, when it's Mm -hmm. like dried will help attract wealth. All right. Chamomile, chamelium nobile has incredible healing and calming properties. Drink in tea to help relieve stress, promote inner peace and aid sleep. Burn the flower as incense for purification or use for personal protection by taking a ritual bath with ground up chamomile. Generally speaking, chamomile is helpful for allergies, but some people are sensitive to it. Dill, anathem grevelliens. Dill is a great ingredient to use in love spells and charms to attract romance and make yourself irresistible to a lover. Place the seeds in a muslin pouch and use it in a ritual bath or hang under your shower head. Use dill leaves and seeds in both spells. Remember to check your sensitivity to dill before taking a bath in it if you are prone to allergies. Patch test either if you're using an oil or, you know, rub a little bit on your hand to see if you're going to have a reaction. Don't just dive into a bath with an herb you don't know if you're allergic to. Lavender. Lavendula officinale. Burn lavender as incense or use in a pouch under a pillow to induce calm and aid sleep. Drinking lavender and chamomile tea before sleep combats and aids insomnia. To attract love, place lavender flowers in your closet to fragrance your clothes. Lemon balm, Melissa officinalis. Known as the elixir of life, lemon balm is associated with healing. Soak lemon balm in wine and share it to deepen your bond with your partner or to strengthen a friendship. Burn as incense with lemongrass to cleanse and purify. Mm, love that. Mint, mentha. Associated with the element of air, mint aids communication and adds strength and power to your words, particularly if consumed in a tea. Burning, carrying, and eating mint helps to attract love as well as preserve and protect relationships. Oregano, oregano vulgare. Oregano can help to strengthen an existing love, but also aid the process of letting go of a loved one following a bereavement or relationship breakup. Dress a candle by rubbing oil into a green candle, then rolling it in dried oregano before burning to attract love and wealth. Rosemary, Rosemarinus officinalis. This versatile herb improves mental powers and memory. Place rosemary in oil and use to anoint a yellow candle. Burn on a Thursday to help academic study and improve grades. Use rosemary in a ritual bath for personal cleansing or burn for smoke cleansing. Thyme, thymus vulgaris. Burning thyme with frankincense before a spell or ritual is a great space cleanser and purifier. Make thyme oil to use in a ritual bath to renew the spirit. Place under your pillow. Thyme can aid in restful sleep and promote good dreams. Yarrow, Achillea miliifolium. 
Yarrow is protective when worn in magical pouch, and it also helps to bring the wearer courage. Hold it in your hand for a few minutes to reduce feelings of fear. Brew as a tea to increase clairvoyant powers or rub on your eyelids to raise psychic awareness. Now, you may be thinking, well, wait a minute. That's not what I read about rosemary. That's not what I read about time. Well, guess what? Herbs have many different properties and can be employed in many different types of workings. This is why we always encourage you to cross-reference your resources. And our next and final part of the Google Doc is green god and goddesses. Super freaking exciting. The following is a non-exhaustive list of gods and goddesses from various pantheons throughout the world. And each deity is linked in one way or another with plants, trees, flowers, medicinal herbs, magical herbs, and the planting and or harvesting of crops. And who do you think we used for this list? What do you think? What book? What book do you think? Oh, I think the divine feminine probably was definitely one of them. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I also want to know, like, as we say, literally every freaking episode, we're not linguists. Um, If we mispronounce a name um, of either like a scientific name, an herb, or even a god or a goddess, we apologize. We're not doing it (laughs) to be shitty. We just are mispronouncing it. So feel free to always correct us and please forgive and forget. We're trying our best here. All right. Balarama. Hindu god of agriculture and fertility, whose name means strength of Rama. He is an incarnation of the god Vishnu, and his attributes include a fan palm, lotus, and plow. Theridwin, Celtic goddess of inspiration, who also proceeded over herbs, grains, and potions. According to mythology, she is the keeper of the cauldron of knowledge, and a deity who transforms into a white corpse-eating sow. Some historians believe that her cult may have originated thousands of years ago on the island of Malta, where archaeologists had discovered prehistoric temples bearing images of a sacred sow goddess. I love Sarah Wynn. She's so cool. Uh-huh. Like the potion lady. Uh-huh. <laughs> Demeter, or some people say Demeter, but I say Demeter. Greek vegetation and mother goddess who was a deity connected to death and the underworld. Her cult was widespread and often practiced in secrecy with initiation rites. Some sources claim the sacrificing of young virgins during Demeter's annual festivals to ensure fertility. However, not enough historical evidence exists to substantiate this. Like many pagan deities, Demeter is a goddess known by many names, one of them being the Barley Mother, another the Corn Mother, and the Old Woman, as Demeter's spirit was manifest in the final shelf of the harvest. Flora. Roman goddess of gardens, flowers, and blooming plants. In works of art, she is often shown wearing a wreath of springtime flowers in her hair. She was mainly worshipped by young girls who would lay offerings of fruits and flowers upon her altar. Her annual festival, the Floralia, was celebrated from the 28th of April to early May. Kupala, Slavic goddess of trees, flowers, and herbal lore. Purple loosestrife and ferns are her most sacred plants. According to an old legend, the fern opens its fire flowers on the eve of the summer solstice, and anyone who possesses the flower will gain the power to read the thoughts of others, to find hidden treasure, to understand the secret language of trees, and to repel all evils. Oh, Cyrus, what's up? (laughs) Egyptian lord of the underworld who also took on the role of a deity concerned with grain and vegetation. As a grain god, Osiris was worshipped in the form of a sack filled with seed that sprouted grain. His annual death and rebirth personified the self-renewing vitality and fertility of nature. Persephone. Hmm. Persephone. Persephone. (laughs) (laughs) Persephone was once known as the goddess Kor, the Greek goddess of spring and growth. Many myths surround her and none more famous than her abduction by the Greek god Hades, god of the underworld. However, this goddess was much more than just a pawn or a victim, Israel Gonzalez says, and she plays a major role in the transformation of the seasons. Historians argue that the goddess of grain may have originally been the goddess of death, ruling the underworld and predating both mother Demeter and husband Hades. The metamorphosis from core to Persephone can be seen in alternating seasons upon the earth. It is through her ability to link the cycles of life and death and ensure their harmony 
that Persephone's true power is comprehensively identified and honored. Your girl. My girl. One of my other girls fucking love her. And finally, Shen Nong, Chinese god of agriculture, pharmacy, and health, known as the divine farmer, said to be the inventor of the plow. He instructed humans in basic agriculture and the magical, medicinal, and culinary use of herbs. He symbolizes the element of air. And that is the Google Doc mic drop. Bye. <laughs> no, no, seriously. Like, um, such amazing gods and goddesses. There's so many more. Like we said, this is not an exhaustive list. And for this whole episode, this is not an exhaustive list of herbal magic. Like it is such a vast topic. It is such an amazing topic. And we highly encourage you to further research on it. If you're interested in it, this is really just touching the surface of it, but it's such a beautiful, beautiful practice. And I really, really hope you've learned something from this episode because I've learned a lot from this episode that I didn't know before. Um, and it's really important to just, you know, learn new things about the world around us. You really like don't realize how much you use herbs in your yeah. life. Like you really, you really don't fucking realize it when you're doing, when you're doing food magic, you're using herbs, yeah. you're using herbs to like create your food when you're drinking your tea in the morning, when you are planting, when you, I mean, a fucking everything has to do with herbs. Mm -hmm. When you're not feeling well, you use herbal magic to help yourself. Like, mm -hmm. Herbs are life. Yeah. They're a great enhancer of your magic. They're in great that I think they're a great enhancer of health. Again, I'm mm -hmm. not a medical uh professional, so don't take Bye. that as by <laughs> the Bible truth. But I I personally use herbs to help my health. I personally use herbs to enhance my magic. And I think that it's something that everybody should be incorporating. Just watch out for your allergies and watch out for poisonous herbs, obviously. Don't consume them. Preach, preach it. And like we said. That's the Google Doc. That's the episode. That's herbal magic, baby. That's what you wanted. And we fucking gave it to you. So we hope you enjoyed this episode because Boom. yeah, enjoy this episode. Enjoy our past episodes. You know Boom. where to find us on the Instagram. You know where to find Boom. us on the website. You know where to find us on Boom. the shop. You know where our oils are. Boom. You know where our merch is. Boom. You know where to find us on all the platforms, the Spotify, the Apple, the Google. You know where to reach us. Find us on the email. Subscribe to us. Be on our email um, subscribe shit. And that's it. Boom, boom, boom. Boom, 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 baby. That's all we got. And we have a really, really exciting episode for you next week. So mm -hmm. stay tuned. Yeah. And we love you all. And love. we'll see you next week. Bye.